This is Paul Watson, and you're listening to the Fulham Focus podcast. Hello, well it wasn't quite the result we all hoped for on Friday night as the Whites' dominant display against our ex-manager's Bournemouth side looked like it might end in defeat when Dominic Solanke's goal seven seconds after half-time gave the visitors the lead. Predictably, they then sat back and attempted to defend it whilst we missed a host of good chances before the cottage erupted when Tosin Adarabayo nodded in the equaliser with six minutes left. We're another point closer to winning the league in my book. Sergeant Dylan are here to go back over the game with me. Never toss in the towel. My name is Matt Boisclair and this is your Fulham Focus Podcast. Fulham. Right, as always, lads, let's have your post-match thoughts. I'm going to come to you first, Sarge. What did you make of it, mate? Yeah, it's a funny one. I was, um, I was thinking about this earlier and although we didn't get the win, I, I, I still feel like quite content with how the game went. Um, it wasn't the result we wanted, but I didn't walk away from it feeling anything kind of but contentment. And I think that was really down to, I'm sure we're going to get into it, how the game played out. Um, it's been it's been sort of well, well documented in group chats that... Um, I'm not necessarily on the sort of anti-Parker bus, but um, I definitely came away from that game feeling like we got the better of the deal of everything that transpired over the summer based on what we watched over those 90 minutes. I think during the game, I I was a bit pissed off we didn't win. Even when we equalised, I still fancied us to go on and win. I thought we were the better side and I thought we deserved the three points. Um, and I spoke to a few people afterwards, texting and bumped into Robin on the way back to um, on the way back to Hammersmith, and said, oh, "I'm a bit pissed off about that." But in the cold light of day yesterday and today, and watching all the highlights again, yeah, we did play well. We created a lot of chances. Scott Parker tried to defend the uh, the, the lead once they once they got it, but it didn't stop us, and we kept going, and we kept having some decent opportunities. And if Nisken's Cabano could finish then we probably would have won that game comfortably. As it was, Tom Kearney coming on kind of turned the game, didn't it? And, and he, he was out, outstanding for 20 minutes. Um, I just I really wanted to beat them. And I on, on Friday night, as I was coming away from the game, I thought to myself, this is probably going to be two of the bottom three of the Premier League next season. Um, and that, that was, I couldn't get past that. But yesterday, once I'd maybe sobered up a little bit, then, um, yeah, it, it was a good point, wasn't it, Dylan? What did you think, mate? Yeah, it's a good point. Obviously frustrated that we didn't win. But I think, I think looking at it, they're probably the best side in the league to draw to, if that makes sense. Like, they're not, yeah. they're not gaining any ground on us. They didn't overtake us in the league. We're still top. And it wasn't like we, um, we played awfully. I thought we played very well. We obviously dominated the ball. I think we had something like 63 64% possession. And it was an enjoyable game to watch. Um, obviously had a few chances that maybe should have uh, gone in. But I think their goalkeeper probably had the game, the game of his life and probably the biggest game of his life, or one of them at least. Um, so, yeah, not not too disgruntled. Um, and obviously a chance to uh, get three points next week at Luton, which is, um, yeah, hopeful. Well, that, that's, that's an important game now, isn't it? Because we're off, all right, we're undefeated in 10, but we haven't won in three games now. And obviously the Bournemouth game is a slightly different 
kettle of fish anyway because it's first versus second. But the cold cold facts are that Sarge, we haven't we haven't won in three games. Is there anything to be concerned about? Do you think? Ordinarily, there would be, but the the circumstances around those three games is hmm. a, a bit out of the ordinary, isn't it? We've obviously had the illness. Come out the back end of that now into a game against you know who looks like to be our, our biggest rival in terms of winning the league. And I thought we looked comfortably better than them. We didn't score. I mean, we, we obviously it finished one one. We didn't score the amount of goals that I think our performance warranted on the night. Um, I mean, you know, being in the Hammersmith in that second half, there was two occasions where Mitro rises above everyone, gets his head to it, and for. Until it doesn't go in, I was certain it was going in. Yeah. Um, there was one that went just over the bar. And I honestly, the, I don't understand the physics of how it didn't dip under the bar. It looked like it was going in from the moment it left his head. And then there was the one that the keeper saved. Cabano then could, couldn't get the rebound in. But I felt like it, it was a performance that warranted a win against the team that's meant to be the best team that we're going to come up against. And the derby as well. We didn't win that game, but we did more than enough to win the game. The trends are that if we keep playing the way we're playing, we're going to win enough games to do what we need to do. So I'm not overly concerned about the sort of the three without a win at the moment. I think we bounce back against Luton. I see us winning that game and then it's, you know, it's all systems go again. So coming out the back end of the illness, putting the performances that we have in, obviously Preston wasn't great, but extenuating circumstances. I think I think we're on the right track. I'm not I'm not too concerned. Thing is, yeah. as well, we're, we're digging in deep here as well, aren't we, Dylan? You know, that we, we scrapped and got that point at Preston. We we should have beaten Bournemouth, but even now, the, the defenders are starting to chip in with some goals, which is so important because it, it just takes a bit of pressure off everybody else. Yeah, it's weird when you think our last two goal scorers have been uh, Tim Ream and obviously Tosin, but I think I think Preston, Preston away is quite a difficult place to go, um, probably a harder game than people give them credit for, and Derby as well. Even though they're bottom, that's largely just due to the point deductions. I think they'd be sort of like comfortably mid-table if um, if they hadn't had any of sort of their financial troubles that had gotten them in so much uh, like distress with the league. But um, yeah, I'm not too disheartened. But the fact is, if we win this game against Luton, um, we'll we'll have had as many points from that game as we have from the last three, and we'll be back on a winning track. And we don't want to just um, don't want to just go too stale into the sort of festive period because obviously there's a load of games and a quick turnaround. And we've got. We've got quite a difficult set of fixtures as well, I'd say. You know, Sheffield United at home. Birmingham. Birmingham should be fine, but you never know. Swansea away could be difficult. Um, so yeah, I think away. it's really important that we uh, sort of head into those um, that set of fixtures on a sort of on the back of a win, I'd say. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I was thinking about this early. You know, the the uh, the Christmas period isn't really a thing for us because it's just basically it's a, a, a three game week, isn't it? Really, you've got uh, Sheffield United on the Monday then Birmingham on, on the Sunday, and then Reading on the Wednesday. So it's not that congested, but it's, it's when you're in the Premier League, isn't it? And that's when you start getting a, a Christmas period where there's three games in a week. That's more unusual, whereas we're kind of used to it now. So I don't think too much emphasis needs to be put on that festive period, other than the fact that we need to keep winning games. Um, and actually, we need to start winning games again. But we're, we'll, uh, we'll do a loosen preview later in the week. I want to come on to Scott Parker, though. Um, as expected, he was given a mixed reception, let's call it. He said he wasn't bothered about it, but Sarge, how did you feel about it? I mean, I expected there to be booze um, and I expected it to be quite hostile, but I, I don't necessarily agree with it. Yeah, I, I didn't really notice it that much. I think there's there's not a lot of instances in a game where a, 
an opposition manager has the opportunity to kind of be booed and it'd be obvious that's what's happening because he doesn't get on the ball. If it was a player, every time that player gets on the ball, yeah. they can be booed. He doesn't get on the ball. He doesn't, he doesn't really do anything. So it's it's quite difficult for him to be sort of targeted in that way. Um, I thought the atmosphere was really good and that was, that was built off of the back of the fact that Scott Parker was coming back as Bournemouth manager. It's it's a tricky one with him. He the the game, funnily enough, has kind of changed my outlook on on my feelings around him. I've always kind of been of the opinion that both things can be true, that he is a good manager, certainly at this level, uh, and that he couldn't continue on at Fulham and continue to have success based on the way things had gone in the Premier League season, the players, all of that stuff. But I, it didn't make me think that he's a bad manager. And I still don't think he's a bad manager. He's obviously doing well with Bournemouth. But his style, his approach to things, I found Friday night incredibly negative. And I don't know if it's just because I was watching it from the other side of it and it was opposition as opposed to him being our manager. I don't remember him coming across as that negative when watching him as Fulham manager. In the Premier League, we obviously batted down the hatches quite a lot because we were inferior to the opposition. But in the Championship, I don't remember us trying to park the bus after 45 minutes. It was... It was really shocking for me. And in that respect, if that's what other people have seen as Fulham fans, then I'm not surprised that he, he gets the stick that he does. I can't get away from the fact that we beat Brentford at Wembley in the biggest game, certainly in their history up to that point. Um, and for me, that's always, that's always going to be, that's always going to put him in a, in a positive. It's always going to put him sort of in a, in a bit of credit. So I wasn't, I'm not one to boo him. He, he did a decent job with us for the short time he was here. It didn't work out. We move on. Yeah, yeah no. I, I, I'm largely the same, to be fair. Um, I'm not going to boo him. I'm, I understand there's probably reasons as to why he left. And uh, it, it's something that just happens in life. You know, people move on to new jobs. Um, obviously, there's what, 18 and a half other thousand people in the in the building at the same time. So I can't stop the booing. But I wouldn't boo him. I think, yeah, that win against Brentford was too good for me to... One Friday night. Let's come on to Marco Silva's lineup. Then there was one obvious omission, which I expected. I expected Kenny Tessie to play. I expected him to come in for Dennis, uh, and he didn't. And I obviously I really like Dennis Adoy. He's he's a bit of a club legend. Um, the stuff that he's done in the past for us has has been has been amazing. But I did expect in the biggest game of the season for us to play the player that is probably the best fullback in the division. What, what did you think about that decision? Um, it's a bit strange. I don't know if it's still like related to that illness because I think I do think I do love a doy, but it's clear that Tete is just a class above in sort of his sort of defensive gameplay going forward. You know, he was a Champions League semi-finalist the summer before we signed him. Um, I think that speaks enough about his quality rather than anything else. Um, but yeah, obviously surprising, but I just I think it must be related to the illness because I think you've got to be You've got to be surely a bit stupid to not play your best players in the best games. I know he missed out against West Brom, but obviously then he was just coming off the back of like 45 minutes of football in about two months or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, no, I thought Adore, even though he played well over that sort of period he was in the team for, I do still just think Tete is better. I think um, social media will go into meltdown if we don't say, obviously Dennis Adore has played really well this season and he may just be in the team on merit. But 
Kenny Tete is a better player, and it's very difficult to argue that. The other the other change was Anthony Robinson not in the squad at all, possibly related to illness, possibly not. So Joe Bryan played. Sarge, how do you think Joe Bryan got on? I thought he had a he had, he had one of his lesser games for us, to be honest. I'm, I'm a massive Joe Bryan fan. I've got a shirt with his name on the back from the playoff final. Um, but he he wasn't at it for me on Friday. He was one of the, the weaker performers in the eleven. It was it was a tricky one. It it looked a bit like he just wasn't sharp, and that that will happen because he hasn't played as much as we thought he would. There was there've been chances to rotate him in. They haven't really been taken. Again, we don't know if he was one of the ones that came down with the illness. He wasn't sort of mentioned by name, but he's probably in amongst that group. So it, it looked like he he fell a bit victim to the the lack of rotation at times that Silver has has done, and maybe that's why he didn't quite look to his best. But he wasn't he wasn't as good as we become used to certainly in this league on a door quickly I actually thought he had a, a really good game I know he was kind of caught out a little bit with their goal but that was that was the whole back line that wasn't just him um, but I actually thought he played really well and also thinking back to the the Preston game he he was probably one of the players to come out of the Preston game with a bit more credit than others as well and if Marco Silva's building this team around um, you know form and, and, and sometimes it's important just to keep the the mood around the club and the the general mindset of players in there. If you play well, then you have a chance of keeping your place. It probably would have been quite harsh on Dennis to lose his spot after the Preston game. And then he played really well against Bournemouth as well. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him play again against Luton because it it doesn't send a great message to the squad if when you come in and you do well, you get dropped out just for sort of a favourite. And Parker was sometimes accused of having favourites. Silver, I don't think, has has shown that hand yet. And it might just be that unless Dennis Adoy does something to kind of lose his place, Tete may find it tricky to come back in. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. That's kind of what I was saying about, you know, him being there in, um, on on merit rather than reputation. So, cool. All right, let's um, let's go and dissect the uh, the key moments of the game then. So, Niskan Scabano, he had two shots from outside the box saved inside the opening 10 minutes. Cabana was electric, particularly in the first half, wasn't he? He was one of those players who we'd earmarked it as part of the preview as potentially a player with a point to prove against the old boss too. Yeah, I thought he was really, really good. I mean, obviously he had that howler of a chance in the second half, which I'm sure we'll come on to later. But I feel like he's he's a, he's a good player, especially at this level, but he's just missing that sort of end product, like like the pinpoint cross or that mainly the, the goal scoring, really. That even add that to his game going forwards, then he'll become even more of a threat. Uh, but yeah, he um, he seemed right up for it against um, against Parker, um, and I just yeah, I thought he was he was really good. But you know, if he can make a bit more of the, the chances when he gets them, then I think we can have a proper player on our hands. But we're still waiting to see the uh, the full impact of him. I'd say I don't know what yeah, you think. He is an exciting player to watch, and I wonder whether Lewis Bohm also has had anything to do with that, because obviously they're both left wingers. Um, and I wonder whether he's got involved in in the coaching and trying to bring the best out of Niskan Scabano. And obviously Cabano needs to be taught how to finish. But he's he's another one of these players who's who I didn't necessarily expect to be one of the first 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 choices or first names on the team sheet this season. But he, he kind of is at the moment. And again, he's there on merit, Sarge, isn't he, Cabano? Yeah, he's full of confidence. You can see it every time he gets the ball. All he's thinking is, I'm going to beat this fullback. 
He had Jack Stacey on absolute toast on Friday. He could not cope with him. First half, he went past him three or four times, just a drop of the shoulder, shifted the board, he was gone. And every time he does it, you get that. He's exciting. The crowd makes that noise when he goes past someone. He does a little jink and it's that, ooh, you know, he just he just glides past someone. Everyone reacts at the same time because it's exciting to watch. It's, it's very impressive. His crossing isn't always up to scratch. His finishing has not quite been there. He's, he's picked up a few goals this season. Um, but he's brilliant to watch. He's fun to watch. You can see that he's just, he's enjoying his football and so much of football is momentum and he's a player with momentum at the moment and long may it continue. Dominic Solanke. Now, the Dominic Solanke, Alexander Mitrovic comparison and chat that's been all part of, not just the build-up to this game, but it's kind of been a narrative for the whole season in, in the press, hasn't it? Uh, he had a couple of good chances, both of which he put wide in the first half. The first of which was with his head and the second he dragged wide after turning Tosin inside out. He's clearly a, an excellent striker, particularly at this level, and his, his movement is impressive. For me, he's still no Mitrovic, though. But it was the Bournemouth striker's clumsy tackle on Harry Wilson, which should have led to a Fulham penalty. We aren't getting the rub of the green with the officials at the moment at all, are we? It's, it's be, becoming a little bit frustrating. Yeah, it is, it is getting quite frustrating. But, you know, we're still top of the league. So I don't want to complain too much. And I think I'd actually rather be in the championship having a bit of bad luck with the referees rather than in the Premier League. Not not in the Premier League. I'd love to be in the Premier League, but with the VAR, I just I just find that sort of stuff so tedious when, you know, you score and then you've got to wait five minutes to properly celebrate and then Yeah. But you know, it's um it's obviously frustrating, but still top of the league. Um but yeah, I think it was a clear penalty on uh, on Friday. The problem, the problem with Harry, problem with Harry Wilson is the way that he throws himself on the floor. He was touched, but he has thrown his head back and gone down in a, maybe an unnatural manner. So perhaps that was what the referee saw and thought. No, he's dived. But then if yeah, he thought he dived, yeah. then maybe maybe he would have booked him. So I don't know. Maybe he just didn't think that, that there was contact. Yeah, I think that there's got to be. There must be a sort of fine line there, really. I mean, like if he's 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 not dived, but the way that he's gone down is if the referee hasn't seen the whole thing. Clearly, he's just going to see that like reaction and think, oh, he has dived and not given it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, getting a bit frustrating. I sort of luck with the officials. I actually went to the toilet just as, as this happened. So as I was coming back up to my seat, I actually saw the incident on the screen. I just happened to be watching the screen as as the challenge happened. And I didn't see it. Didn't see a replay. Just saw it on the screen. But obviously, it was a much better view on the screen than it would have been from my seat in the Hammersmith end. So. My first viewing of it was, I didn't think it was a penalty, watching it on the screen. Having seen replays of it since, I have thought, well, that should have been a pen. But if I watched it on the screen and didn't think it was a penalty, and pretty much kind of because of what you said, Frenchie, the way that Wilson went down, it all happened quite quickly. It, it, it looked like he was playing for it. And I do think that's why the referee didn't give it. Now, that shouldn't really come into it. But you can see why it wasn't given, I, I think, in real time on first viewing. Yeah. All right. I, I just want to come back really quickly to um, to the Solanke versus Mitrovic debate. Um, I haven't seen much of Bournemouth at all this season. I, I think I watched the Derby game the other week because it was on telly. Otherwise, it's just all the highlights that I've seen on Quest. So I didn't really know that much about Solanke. And I don't, I don't really care, to be honest, about other teams' players. But... Watching him on, uh, on on Friday night, I I can see why Parker would say he's the best striker in the league. You know the way he did go past Adarabio, uh for that chance where he dragged it wide, very impressive. Um, I just wonder with with both Mitrovic and Solanke, 
if Bournemouth and Fulham are the two teams that, that go up this season, how those two players will get on in the Premier League because you see the likes of um, Tony at Brentford, for example, hasn't really done much. He hasn't hasn't really been able to replicate his scoring form in the Premier League that he, that he had in the Championship. But I was thinking to myself as well, if we were to ever go 4-4-2, then Mitrovic and Solanke up front wouldn't be the worst pairing, would they? I think they might even work quite well together. Yeah, it does. It sound, it's going to sound biased, but I really don't think Mitrovic would struggle in the Premier League. I mean, the first season we were up, what, 2018-19, he got 11 goals. And for a team that was just so completely awful, like that's no no mean feat, I don't think. And then obviously last season, he just wasn't really given a chance by Scott Parker. And when he was playing in games, he was coming off from the bench and getting five minutes here and there. And I remember it was after, it was the Aston Villa game away where um, he'd just come off the back of that scoring run for Serbia. And then obviously Parker played him from the start and then lo and behold, he scored. So mm. when he when he has his chance, he's usually taken it quite well. And um, on Solanke, I hadn't seen much of Bournemouth either. And he was better than I thought he was going to be. I'm still not buying that he's a better player than Mitrovic at all. But yeah, he was quite impressive. And he obviously, he turned toast in a few times. He looked... He looked quite confident on the ball. He's got um, he's a he's a physical physical player, I'd say, as is most of Bournemouth's team with uh, six yellow cards. But uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, he was he was really good. Yeah. I so. thought I thought Slanky was better than than my estimation of him as well. I've 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 never really watched him play, um, so I didn't have much of an opinion to start with. He he was good. He was dangerous. He was lively. He comes across as a sort of striker that is a pain to play against. But I think Premier League defenders would deal with him, and I think yeah. that's because of what Dylan said. A lot of his, his a lot of his game is based on his physical attributes. He's quite quick. He's quite strong. That's not enough in the Premier League. When you come up against top class defenders, they can mix it with you. If all you're bringing to the table is that physicality, and that's not all he's bringing to the table. He's technically a decent player as well, but his technical ability is not on the same level of, say, a Danny Ings or someone like that that we see score goals regularly in the Premier League. He is a good player. He will always score loads of goals at this level because he has a decent level of technical ability and his physical attributes will outmatch most defenders in this league. And I think if he went up to the Premier League, he probably he's, he can probably get in the region of 10 goals a season. There's no reason not to. He's never going to be a 20-goal-a-season Premier League striker. That's not going to happen. As for Mitrovic, I think Mitrovic has a bit more to his game. Mitrovic is a very physical player. He bullies defenders. But what we've seen, especially this season, he's a very intelligent striker. He drops into spaces now. He's also he's he's very good at sniffing out chances that don't really seem to be there. The amount of goals that he scores from within sort of eight yards of the penalty box, sorry, eight yards of the goal, is a mark of someone that knows where the ball's going to be, where it's going to drop. The fact that he's added that sort of predatory instinct to his game where he's nicking onto defensive mistakes where they're trying to pass across the back line or go back to the keeper and he's onto it like a flash. That's that's something that he's added to his game and that shows a level of intelligence. Plus his international record is mm. is ridiculous. Um, so I do still think that Mitrovic is a better player and yes, I'm biased. But I was impressed with Solanke. I, I just don't, I don't know that he's got quite what it takes to go on and score sort of 15 plus goals in the Premier League just because a lot of what I saw Friday was pace and power and just energy, really. Yeah, you've got to be a, you've got to be a, a decent player to go from Chelsea to Liverpool without any real sort of pedigree. But I don't think you can teach sort of being like a natural goal scorer. I think that's what Mitrovic is, and maybe Solanke isn't at the moment. 
Mitrovic should have scored uh, the opening goal for sure. But there was two unbelievable blocks by Steve Cook, Bournemouth defender, in the space of seconds. Firstly, Mitrovic did his trademark cut back inside on his right foot and just waiting for him to stick it in the back of the net. And Steve Cook's thrown his body on the line. And then Carvalho's followed up. And it just looked like a handball at the time, just the way that he's, he did have his arm up. He just got really lucky that it hit him in the chest. But that, that I mean, hands up there. That, that was some really, really good defending from the Bournemouth fan, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a joke and it's made even more impressive when you consider that was his that was his second 90 minutes on Friday. Um, certainly in the league this season. I mean, he's had a torrid time with injuries, I think. Um, he played when they beat Norwich, when they lost to Norwich 6 in the Cup and then he, um, he was out for a while and he came back against when they played Coventry. So that was his second 90 minutes on that, when, uh, Friday night. And yeah, that were two unbelievable blocks. So I think when he blocked Mitrovic's first attempt, I thought, well, Carvalho will tuck this home, no problem. Yeah. And then he somehow managed to um, get back to that. I don't know if you remember it, but it reminded me a bit of that John Terry block in the 2010 World Cup. I think it was against Slovenia, where he just literally just flung his body across the line and uh, somehow stopped right. it going in. But yeah, I won't commit anything that John Terry does to memory. Anything he does, <laughs> I try and forget about immediately. Quite. Exactly, exactly. I, I, that's some some reference there. I can't remember that bloody hell. Eleven years ago, um, seven seconds it took Bournemouth after the restart. Um, we were undone by a, a Scott Parker training ground routine special, weren't we? Solanke got the goal. It was a well worked routine. We probably should have defended it a bit better. And really, we were caught cold and ball watching Sarge, weren't we? Right after half time. Yeah, it was such a kick in the nuts that because. We were so on top first half, came out second half. And usually we start we start halves really brightly. We score a lot of goals early on in, you know, after restarts. We scored a lot of early goals this season. We scored a fair few goals quickly after half time. I, I thought we were going to come out and really put it on them. And I saw Matt Wells talking to, I think it was Billing, just before kickoff. He was on the pitch. All the players were on the pitch and all the backroom staff were all in their dugouts. And Wells was on the pitch talking to him. And in the back of my mind, I was like, I wonder what he's saying. I didn't think he was saying anything about what they were going to do straight from kickoff. I thought he was probably just giving him some information about, you know, who he's marking or how to try and play or whatever. But it, it became really apparent once the ball dropped back into the centre circle and he looks up and you can see Solanke running. It was like, they've planned this. And you just saw it happen in slow motion and the ball went in. I mean... It, it, it is clever. We've we've seen it from Parker before. We've, his coaching staff have they've got little tricks that they like. They they study the opposition. They see things and they try and exploit them. And you know we 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 benefit from it with the Joe Bryan free kick against Brentford. So you've got to give them credit there. It was just it really did suck the life out of us for about 10, 15 minutes, and it just felt it just felt like a real kick in the nuts because of how on top we'd been. We should have been ahead. And all of a sudden, we're behind. And then you also know Scott Parker team is now going to defend that lead for their lives. And they did. And the teams that we've had trouble breaking down, I would say, this season, really, when we've been on form, Derby, who have who had Phil Jagielka and Curtis Davis at the back, two experienced centre-halves who have played Premier League football. And then Friday, Gary Cahill, Steve Cook, experienced centre-halves who have played a decent amount of Premier League football. And it does kind of it kind of exposes the level of defenders that you generally have in this league that sort of the old guard are the ones that stand out for me whenever we come down to championship it's those old experienced heads that 
they just know how to play the game. They know how to see things out. I mean, you know, Cook was putting his body on the line. Cahill was just really assured. And as soon as they went in front, you knew, okay, it's going to be difficult to break them down now, even more so than it was already. Yeah, it was so, so quick after the sort of the restart. Um, I was halfway through a hot dog when he scored and I just thought, oh, Jesus Christ, here we go. So the fastest goal in Premier League history, like after kickoff was 7.69 seconds I've got here. Um, and then his goal from kickoff was about 6.8 seconds. So it was pretty much one of the fastest goals ever after um, sort of the whistle. And yeah, it just straight down the pitch. It was, all, it was like clockwork and I just thought, oh my God, that was... How have they done that? I was I was sort of shocked into silence, really. Um, but yeah, we obviously once they'd score, you knew that they were going to sit on that lead and try and defend it for their lives. Obviously, we are we are the best team in the league going forward, and it was never going to be easy for them. But we, you know, when they put eight men sort of on on their penalty box, it's uh it, it's going to be hard for us. But obviously, we managed to make the breakthrough eventually, which I thought turned on the uh, substitutions coincidentally. Yeah, I was just about to say that Bournemouth sat on their lead, wasted time. We're scrapping for 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 the win. <clears throat> we went for it, and it's fair to say there was only one team trying to win the game. You said earlier, mate, sixty four percent possession, twenty four shots, eleven corners. We were just far superior all night. Harry Wilson had a shot in the second half that went just wide from twenty five yards. Mitro planted that header that Sarge spoke about earlier, just over the bar. But it was Marco Silva's substitution with twenty minutes left that changed the game. Tom Kearney and Bobby Reed coming on for Jean Michel Seri and Fabio Carvalho. And Tom was just outstanding, wasn't he, Sarge? Yeah, I'm a self self confessed Tom Kearney fanboy. Um, I love I've I've loved him for the longest amount of time, but I I just get this sense that Tom Kearney is one of those players that fans only seem to truly appreciate him when he's not really in the team. It it feels like there's always a bit of talk around, ah. Uh, you know, he's not a great captain, he shouldn't be captain, he's not a proper leader and all of this stuff when he is playing. And then there's talk about he slows down our play and, and all this stuff. And then when he's not in the team, everyone's like, oh, we need a playmaker, we need TC. He can unlock the door. And I just, I don't really get it. I don't know where that comes from. He is a leader because if you think about the clutch moments in Fulham history since he's been at the club, they pretty much all revolve around Tom Kearney. Wembley against Villa... There's the Leeds goal from the first championship season that we got to the playoffs under Slav. Then there's this, the ball that he puts into toes in. Like, there's so many examples of when he comes up in those big moments for us. And I don't really know what else you want from a leader because you want your leader to be there when you need him. And that's, that's what he's done consistently for Fulham. He, was, he just came on and he just pulled strings. He changed the game. Seri has been unreal this season. His playmaking ability is great. But what Tom Kearney does, especially when a team drops in and blocks like, they, like Bournemouth were doing, he becomes that playmaker higher up the pitch. And that just changes the mood of things. Seri's very good at dictating play from deep. But when everyone drops off in terms of the opposition, if they drop back onto their 18-yard line, which Bournemouth did from about 55 minutes, to be honest, you need to be able to pull strings higher up. And Seri doesn't always do that. He's quite happy to take the ball at the halfway line. Kearney was starting to pick the ball up in those half spaces on the edge of the box. And that was what was causing them problems. And a shout out to Bobby Reed as well. I thought his movement when he came on was unbelievable. He was picking up spaces in pockets all over the shop. They, no one knew who, to, who was marking him. Bournemouth didn't know who was responsible for Bobby Reed. And he kept picking up the ball in those little spaces in the channels. He was going left. He was going right. He was just dropping in and creating little three on twos with the fullback and the wingers. And they couldn't handle it. And that 
in turn created space for Kearney also to start doing what he does so well, which is dictate play. And it was Kearney who played in Cabano down the right. Another good chance where Niskan's hit the keeper. Then let's come on to that miss from Niskan's Cabano. Mitrovic headed the ball, keeper saved it. And just Cabano at the at the back post, he's just snatched at it, hasn't he? It's come at him quickly and he hasn't been able to direct it on target. He's put it in the side netting. Again, what a player he'd be if he could finish. Yeah, it's so frustrating. And you mentioned um, Bobby Reid picking up spaces. I think he's just run across Cabano at completely the wrong moment. And he's obviously put him off a bit because I've looked at it a few times and um, I can't see how Cabano doesn't doesn't miss. I can't see how Cabano misses if Bobby Reid isn't there. So I'm, I'm going to give Cabano the benefit of the doubt. I mean, he, he did flash it because it was right in front of me where I was um, where I was sat. He did flash it and you thought, oh, this is going in. And then it somehow hit the side netting. So I can only think that Reed has sort of got on his way, unfortunately. But yeah, he'd be, if he could finish, he'd be, he'd be a really good player. Obviously, it's nice because he was on, he's on the peripheries of the squad for so long. I think we signed him in 2016, 2017. And so he's been in and around the team for ages, but never really got a proper run of games in the team. I mean, even that sort of um, first promotion season, there was 10 spots in the side by the playoff final completely nailed down. And that right wing spot between him, Kibana, uh, him, Kamara and Piazan was a sort of the only one where we even had a little bit of rotation. So it is good to see him finally getting a run of games. I think he, he has deserved it and he is a good player. I just wish he could finish. Yeah, completely agree. Well, we'd waited long enough and it was time for the cottage to explode when with six minutes left, Tosin got the equaliser. Sarge, talk me through the goal. Well, is that creating that overload on that uh, on our right-hand side? Again, Bobby Reid coming on with just flashing into those spaces. Dennis Adoy, I thought, had a good game as well. And certainly through the second half, he was creating problems. That little pirouette he did where he nutmegged the defender as well and got fouled, that was that was unbelievable. This reminded me of the, uh, the old back trick against Newcastle on his debut back in uh, 2016, I think that was. Um, that overload that we've kept creating down that side, I didn't think Wilson had a great game, but he was causing them problems, even though he wasn't doing what he could do with the ball. Um, and once it came back out to Kearney, you knew there was there, you got two options. I mean, we know that you can score from those sorts of areas and they kind of, I think they were wary of the shot. So they tried to sort of show him a little bit wider and that angle then he created for himself to get the cross in. And yeah, great header from Tozin, to be fair, because... He's he's kind of got to turn his body and his head to get the right connection onto it, and he's glanced it across into the far corner, and it was it was brilliant. It felt like it was another one of those slow motion moments. You saw him get his head to it, and it just felt like it took an age for it to actually hit the back of the net. I saw something on social media yesterday where somebody said, "I can't believe that we've managed to score that when Bournemouth literally had every single player inside the penalty area." But that's what you've got when you've got somebody as tall as Tosin and somebody with a wand like Tom Kearney who can just put a good ball like that into the box. Exactly. Yeah, you can't you can't take away from good football. Um, yeah, I was I was buzzing when that went in. Absolutely, just completely lost my head. And um, it was it had just been coming since the substitution. Like we were attacking and attacking, and it just it did feel sort of a bit like Peterborough. Like sort of we had a lot of time where we were just sort of creating chances, and then it just sort of got to that stage where if we're not going to score, then when are when are we going to score? If we're not going to score now, when are we going to score? And then. Yeah, went in off Tosin's head. Um, great, great header. Like managed to find yeah. a small pocket of space uh, to the keepers to the keepers' right, and uh, yeah, great, great finish, and a, and a nice uh, celebration mimicking the Solanke bow and arrow as well, which he uh, documented on social media afterwards. Love it, superb. Love a bit of shit yeah. 
So, so the spoil shared then. Let's come on to a man of the match for this one. I've got a bit of a sort of uh, uh, a controversial way of doing this this week. Um, so players, players wise, I, for me, it was Cabano was probably the outstanding player on the pitch. And I thought Dennis Adoy was close behind him. But I, I'm going to give man of the match to Marco Silva because I thought that game encapsulated everything that we as fans wanted from the next Fulham manager. And when Marco Silva got the job, I didn't really know exactly what to expect. I'd seen a little bit of how his teams played when he was at Everton and at Watford. But he has revolutionised the way that this team plays based on what we saw under Parker before. And this was such a battle of those two contrasted styles. And in the second half, after Bournemouth took the lead, Parker made a substitution on 55 minutes. He took off Marcondes, who had been buzzing around and causing a few problems. Um, and he brought on Ben Pearson, who's basically just a ball winner. That's all he does. He tries to win the ball and then send it on to someone that's better than him. Whereas Marco Silva brought on Kearney and Bobby Reed, attacking players who can change the game. Parker didn't make another change, even though it was so obvious the game was going against them until after we'd scored. And I just felt that the game, the way it played out, the way that we attacked, the way that we kept going for it, and the way that Parker sat in was everything that we want to see from a Fulham team. Marco Silva, I think, deserves the credit because his style is what got us that point at the end of the game. And had we had another manager, we might not have seen a team go all out for it. And even after we scored, like you said, Frenchie, I thought we might go on to win it just because of what we've got used to watching. So Marco Silva, it was his game for me. And I hope now that we've, we've got this Bournemouth game out of the way, there's been a lot of talk about sort of this game and the build-up to it and the, the sort of clash between Parker and Silva and how that's going to play out, Parker's return. Now that it's out of the way and we don't play them until April, uh, I'd like to see a little bit more focus on Marco Silva and what, what he is bringing to us. I think we, we still don't really have a proper song for him. Um, the one song we do sing still references Scott Parker. So yeah. I would like to see us show a bit more appreciation to the manager we've got because he's, he's done an unbelievable job. Great celebration from Silva when we scored as well. I love, love his passion. love how mad he went when we scored. That was mad as us a lot, probably. Go on, Dylan, who's your man of the match, mate? I, I'd, I'd, get, I'd have to give it to Tom Kearney, I think. You know, he's not one of those sort of um, old school leaders who shout and swearing in the dressing room, but he leads by example. And yeah, he might spend 10 months injured at a time. But, you know, when we've counted on him, he's never let us down. And uh, again, on Friday, it was another uh, wondrous ball on the Toten's head to sort of uh, get us a valuable point. Um, yeah, I just, I think, you know, he, um, he's he got a great connection with the fans. He, I feel like I feel like he understands what the fans want to see from a Fulham team and from a Fulham player in particular, especially one in his sort of position. Um, I've always been an advocate for him being the captain of the team and being like one of the first names on the team sheet when he's fit. And I think after that sort of 20-minute cameo, there's no reason why that shouldn't continue into the future. So, yeah, even though Cabano was brilliant and obviously Tosin scored, um, yeah, I think I'd give it to Tom Kearney. Just... Yeah, there were definitely some some big shouts from from the aforementioned players. I, I personally would have gone with Cabano just because I thought he was electrifying. Um, as I said, if only he could finish, then we probably would have won that game by by a couple of clear goals. But never mind, that's that. It's a point. And the, the massive game in the Championship, the game of the season so far, is out of the way. And as you said, we go again next weekend against Luton. All right, that's your lot for this week, folks. Sergeant Dylan, thanks, chaps. We'll be back on Thursday morning with a full preview of next Saturday's Luton match at Kenilworth Road. Thanks, as always, for listening and speak to you then. Cheers. <laughs>